0: What's up, everyone? Zane here with everything Vive. Happy Wednesday. Hope your week is going well. Today, we have another interview for you guys. This one is with Ryan Wienko, and he is on the development team that is bringing you your VR. And your VR is an open sandbox survival medieval styled survival virtual reality game. And Ryan, Ronnie, and myself, we really dive into it, uh, really dig in, actually. This is probably one of the longer interviews that we've had just because we had so much fun talking just VR in general. We do get a little technical here and there, but uh, you know, for a non-technical person like myself, I still found it fascinating just to see what goes into creating a game like this and some of the challenges developers face on a technical level. So your VR is a lot of fun. We've posted some gameplay videos for it already and yeah make sure you grab it on steam there'll be a, a link to the game on steam in the show notes and without further ado let us jump right into it ryan how's it going man it is going really well thank you so much for having me oh man we are very excited ronnie and i are both here ronnie how you doing doing well yeah nice to meet you ryan <laughs> yeah pleasure um well so i this your is a fun game. I, I gave a, a brief introduction already before the interview started, but I just I wanna dive straight in, man. Look where where did the inspiration come from? Like what tell me more about you. I'm just curious, like how did this come about?
1: Sure. So I I run a company called Iron Belly Studios, and we partnered with Tectonic VR to be the, the lead dev and kind of a, a publisher for your VR. And it came about from just sitting down and looking at what was available on the market for uh, VR experiences and uh, seeing that there was a total lack of the open world survival uh, genre in the medium and that kind of blew my mind because it seemed like such a natural fit if there was anything that you wanted to be fully immersed in it was the that kind of that survival genre because even in a 2D experience it's probably one of the most immersive gaming uh gaming um uh, genres that you can find so we sat around we looked for it we looked for more and more titles and we didn't find any and then we just had kind of this aha moment of we, we have to do this because there has to be somebody else working on this and if we can get to market first then we can kind of plant our flag in the ground and it just went from there and we uh we just saw that there's so many vr experiences about guns about science fiction and it makes sense because of the technology that exists the engines and the hardware really doesn't do well in vr with open world soft bodied uh, assets like trees and, and things that have a lot of transparency on them so we set about working on that and looked at what, what else was being successful in the in the genre such as life is futile or reign of kings skyrim and we just started taking inspiration from those projects rust as well in terms of the survival aspect but really the gist of it is is our minds were blown that nobody else had released or even announced a project like this and we just thought it was the most perfect fit yeah that for vr
2: that's really interesting you say that because i mean right now i feel like especially in the pc space and on steam survival open world games are kind of you know they've taken off in huge in a huge way in the last couple of years. You have so many early early access titles, and you have so many even even AAA titles like Skyrim. Like you said, they Bethesda titles do so well in that space. So,
1: yeah, and there, I think there just is something there's something that really hooks people in about the the survival the survival game itself. I remember when they first came out, we kind of shook our heads at the thought of having to manage your hunger and thirst in a game just seems so tedious, but people really love that depth. And when you combine that with the already insanely immersive feel of VR, it just seems like, it just seems like you're doubling down on awesome. So that's where all of this came from. And, you know, within a month or two, it became very clear why nobody else was doing this, because it's just <laughs> insanely complicated. And like I said, the technology isn't there. We're we're using um, Unreal because we want it really to look uh, a lot different and better than anything else out there. I mean, you have Vanishing Realms, for example, mm-hmm. and it's it's an amazing experience but it still has a little bit of that cartoony feel to it it doesn't take itself too seriously which works really well for it and the reason i would imagine they did that is just because of the way that unity works uh with vr and in order to maintain that 90 frames per second you can't have a lot of really realistic looking trees and foliage and stuff like this and so we wanted to be different from that we wanted to look different and then like i said within a month or two It became very clear why nobody else was doing this because I think we spent a month and a half just trying to get the world looking the way it does at 90 frames per second.
2: Yeah, it was
1: was just a nightmare. I can only imagine,
2: especially working with. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there are actually running their Vive on you know GTX 970s and you know RX 480s and that sort of hardware. But I mean, even with even with I run a 980 Ti, and even. Even with even with hardware at that level, yeah, some some VR titles trying to keep you know ninety frames per second or even you know into just like normal reproject it's 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 difficult. So so I can only yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine the challenges. I mean, what what's it like optimizing for a VR title as ambitious as yours?
1: Well, the 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 biggest thing is the trees. What what I set out to do from the very beginning was to create what felt like a realistic forest. Now we still have half or a third of the trees that an actual forest would have, but what I wanted was dense trees and you would have uh, very different light levels when you're deep in the forest versus when you're in clearings and it requires a lot a lot of trees and the biggest problem with it is one of the areas or the, probably the biggest the biggest area that VR will get hit performance wise is when you have overlapping transparency, planes of transparency. So for people that might not be familiar with this, when you see a tree and it has a branch with a bunch of leaves coming off of it, each one of those leaves isn't an actual mesh. It's like a a 2D plane, like just a, a piece of paper. And then it has a texture on it. And where all the leaves are is a solid color and a solid looking texture. And then everywhere where there's not a leaf, it's a transparent part of the texture. And so what you have is what's called an alpha cutout for the branch and the biggest hit to performance on VR is when you have one of those behind another one of those so that it has to calculate, okay, we're we're seeing transparent through this section, and then we're seeing it through that section. And then you have light coming through it and casting shadows through it. And trees are nothing but that. And then if you want five hundred or a thousand of those, it just destroys any graphics card that you can throw at it. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Well and, and and on that on that point, in VR does does the fact that you actually have head head tracking and that the the camera angle is effectively moving quite a bit more than even like a first person uh, shooter would on a normal 2D you know monitor is that does that have something to do with why it takes such a, a larger
1: hit? Or? No, no, I I don't I don't think so. Uh, the the fact that you, I mean you can have the head moving as much as you want at 30 frames per second, and on. Uh, on a typical PC title, that's not going to bother anybody, but on a VR title, everyone's going to be losing their lunch. So the biggest thing is that you have to have that level of movement um, as well as uh, maintaining 90 frames per second, and then you have to be rendering it twice because once per eye. So in essence, what you need is you need about 200 frames per second on a typical monitor or equivalent in a VR headset. And that's that's the biggest part of it. I mean, the, the extra movement certainly... Means more calculations of figuring out what we have to cull and what we have to uh, shade and all render and, and whatnot. But I would say the biggest thing is just two two screens. It has to be stereoscopically interleaved, interweaved, uh, and it yeah and yeah that that, that would be the, the major thing. But on
2: on but- that point, and I, I don't want to get too technical, and I'm not sure if, if you guys have been able to, if you're even able to implement some of these things. But like on the I know for the for the ten series of of Nvidia cards. They support, I think, what was it, simultaneous projection for VR. And I, right. I, so,
1: oh, go ahead. No, there's something called there's something called instant stereo. That would be one of them. And then the other one is single pass stereo. Okay. And it's kind of they kind of claim that you're getting a two for one deal, and it's it's great. And for a while there, we experimented with the VR Works branch of Unreal Four. The problem is is that whether on purpose or not, anytime you bring that particular branch of Unreal that is maintained by NVIDIA into play, it'll just crash everything for AMD users.
0: Mm. And
1: there's supposed to be a way that you can just click off all of the features that you don't want when it detects an AMD card. However, like I said, purposely or not, there's like one or two that it doesn't do that on and it just crashes the whole game. So there's some really exciting things coming out of NVIDIA, particularly with the Pascal uh, GPUs. Mm-hmm. However, it basically means that the game can't run for AMD users at all. It can't even launch. Man. So we pulled that out pretty quick. And the only thing that we kept in from that VR works, it's what's it's what's called multi-res uh, multi-res display. Okay. And it's a really cool thing what Nvidia is doing. They're thinking of how the brain works and they're starting to optimize based on that. And so if you if you're on a run or if you're running from a bear for example, your your vision is going to focus on the center of Kind of your eyesight and everything else just completely gets ignored because it just your brain just wants to focus on surviving and getting you to where it needs to go mm. and so what multi-res does is it kind of takes that and uh, implements that in vr so you have like this square in the center of your vision that is rendering at 100 percent or 150 percent resolution if you have screen uh screen percentage turned up and then everything outside of that square is rendering at half resolution or even less and the cool thing is when you're in vr and you're moving uh, particularly with like a D-pad style movement, you don't notice it whatsoever, but it increases your frame rate by anywhere up to 50 or 60%. Wow! So that's the only thing that we kept in because that was the one thing that doesn't crash okay. AMD cards.
2: Well, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, because that's what... I mean, I I don't have a Pascal GPU, so obviously it wasn't something that I could take advantage of. But when I, when I heard of some of those things, I said, oh, well, that... You know, it sounded like it would be super helpful for VR, but I had the same questions kind of in my mind coming from a consumer standpoint is, well, if it's not supported by both platforms, then really how realistic is it going to be for developers to implement? And I mean, I I would hope that some of those technologies that NVIDIA or AMD uh, are working on um, on their own filter down, you know, and, and AMD in general, I think, is a little bit more open of, of sharing some of its technologies with, you know, keeping them open, but...
1: Well, the the interesting thing is that, like, NVIDIA has all of their stuff up on GitHub now for this this kind of stuff. So it's it is pretty open as well. And I think okay. the problem is we're just we're such on the bleeding edge that I'm not saying that this isn't going to get fixed. And I'm not saying that if we didn't spend a month fixing it ourselves, we couldn't get it to work properly. Sure. It's just kind of like for us, for us and probably for NVIDIA, it's just what are the priorities in front of them at this moment in time? And sure. getting these one or two little things working isn't a priority. Um, the reason that we actually dove headfirst into the VR branch of Unreal without really taking too much concern about how it would affect AMD users is because we put out a VR user hardware survey before we launched. And you can just go to playyour.com slash VR dash user dash hardware dash survey to see the results for yourself if you want. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very surprising. We just said, if you're a Vive owner or an Oculus owner, Fill out the survey, tell us what CPU you have, tell us what GPU you have, tell us how much RAM, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, 91.5% of VR users are NVIDIA users, and 92.2% of VR users are Intel users. Mm -hmm. And so that's like threefold greater than what you would expect based on the general Steam hardware survey. Mm -hmm. So for us, we weren't terribly concerned about really ticking off 8.5% of our user base if it meant that ninety-one percent of our user base would have an experience that was five or ten times better than it would be otherwise.
2: Yeah, and I wonder you- if that if that disparity has to do with just the the fact that, you know, most it's, it seems like right now Nvidia and Intel are the ones that are offering more of the high end experiences on the hardware side. And I mean, I think AMD, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, they are working on things, but it they have definitely taken more of an approach to to kind of try to focus, I think, on the, on the mid-tier and lower yeah. markets. So so yeah, so that, it surprises me, but at the same time, it, it does make
1: sense, so. Huh. It, it, it totally does. And if you consider your average VR user, if you're gonna drop $1,000 on a headset, then that's the kind of person that's gonna spend the extra $150 on an NVIDIA card, meaning that they get 20% more performance out of it. But the other surprising thing, if you look at that survey, is that the most popular card for Vive users is the 1080. Hmm. And it it is more popular than the 970, the 980. And then the, the fourth most popular is the 1070. So hmm. everybody is running really high-end cards for this and when we saw that we're like well why are we going to make a game that's designed to run on a 660 like what you see with vanishing realms in games like this which they perform amazingly well on a broad variety of hardware but Mm -hmm. we're looking at these these stats and saying why are we designing a game that's meant to run on hardware that might only be used by 10 percent of the users Mm -hmm. so that's when we really jumped into the higher fidelity thing and 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 went from there very very Uh, cool but you know, as a tip for uh, for newer developers, like I said, we started with the VR VR Works branch. We went, okay, 8.5 percent of the users might not have the best experience, but 92 percent of the users will have a great experience. Let's do that. However, as soon as those kind of complaints from the AMD users started coming in, being only 10 percent, like they were or so, we realized that like even if only 10 percent of people are complaining, those are still negative reviews that are hitting our Steam page. And at that point, we just said, even at 10% or 8% users, this isn't worth accumulating negative reviews um, on on our Steam page because the people that are having the worst experience are going to be give, are going to be the most vocal mm-hmm. on your Steam page. Yeah, agreed. So that's when we just we just pulled that whole thing. We kept the one part of the VR Works branch that doesn't crash AMD users, and then we just focus more on just maintaining a good experience for everybody.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, huh. That's, that's very interesting. And it's, it's cool that you, you guys ran the survey. Um, it, yeah, and in, in general, I think VR, um, I mean, VR is definitely, I wonder if, if some of those specifics will change over time once more and more people get involved, um, in the mm-hmm. platforms, hopefully, um, if, mm-hmm. if, if things are going to have to broaden out a little bit more, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exci- I I mean as as a person that you know tends to try to keep up with hardware trends, um, that's exciting for me to know that you guys are more focused on the higher end end uh, side of hardware because because yeah I, I mean a 970 I think or or like a a, a, a 480 you know AMD card I think um, already kind of struggles a bit to, to mm. keep up with with most of the titles out there so.
1: Um, well, oh, particularly the, the Unreal titles like Raw Data and Ourselves. I mean, I guess VR Pool Nation is, isn't a, a title that's going to stress most cards, but that's the other big VR title. But yeah, particularly with Unreal titles, um, Unreal is using a deferred rendering pipeline, mm-hmm. uh, which means that it handles certain things well and other things not so well. But overall, it's going to give you uh, probably 20 or 30% lower frame rate. Uh, currently, than Uni- Unity would. Okay. So, um, with, you know, with with that in mind, uh, a nine seventy is going to be pushed pretty hard, um, and that's that's you know maybe why we sh- we're seeing simpler experiences right now. Uh, but for what we're looking at, I don't think that we're going to see a surge in purchases for nine seventies or eight eight eighties or anything like that, and so. Um, I think as time goes on that the 1070s and the 1080s will become more of the norm for VR users, and I would rather have a game that's sitting there waiting for them rather than having to overhaul everything that was built for a 660 uh, when that time comes.
2: Well, yeah, and and it's interesting. I mean, uh, you spoke a bit about, you know, and and in your in particular, I think it's more important to kind of fill the space to create a realistic environment with lots of trees and transparencies etcetera cetera, to, to make you f- really feel like you're there. Um, what's it like in a title like yours to kind of balance out um, what you're placing into the environment versus, you know, other aspects of, of the visuals that might affect the user experience like aliasing and, and that sort of thing? Because, because I do know, I mean, I've noticed with titles like like Raw Data, for example, um, if, you can, if you can set the resolution multiplier up and super sample a little bit, it. You know, it, more so than than anti-aliasing, I've noticed in VR, supersampling tends to really improve the fidelity of the image quite a bit if your hardware can a, can afford the push. Mm-hmm. And, and I and I didn't know. I mean, more so than on a normal monitor, um, possibly because of how close the screens are. I'm not sure, but yeah, for me personally, you know, applying anti-aliasing versus you know increasing the resolution and scaling down is quite a big difference visually. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you guys try to do to, like, how do you play that balance between making the scene complex versus, you know, clarity in in the visuals?
1: Sure, well, you know, that's something that we've, uh, a challenge that we've certainly faced a lot, and probably one of our single greatest complaints on Steam and with our community is that uh, things are a little bit blurrier than people would like, and that comes back to, again, we're running Unreal 4, Mm-hmm. And with Unreal Four, we use an, an anti-aliasing technique called temporal AA. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're using temporal AA is because it is it is without a doubt the best AA method that we can use when it comes to soft-bodied assets and overlapping transparencies. Mm-hmm. And that's why we get we get a lot of people. Well, Unreal Four point one four just came out, and it has a new forward rendering engine. And we had just dozens of people coming into our you know, it's kind of like a, a, like a backseat driver coming into our community saying, oh, you guys need to upgrade. You need to switch to the forward render. You need to switch <laughs> to this alias. And we're like, okay, well, hold on. You know, first of all, there's a reason that we're using uh, yeah. temporal AA. We don't like that it's blurry, but when it comes to looking at 300 trees yeah. that all have nice soft leaves and everything like this and overlapping transparencies, it's the only, uh, ter- it's the only anti-aliasing technique that can actually hold up with with current hardware. So we'd love to switch over. Yeah. But until we have something like FXAA three working well on uh on on Real or a better version of temporal AA, then we're yeah. kind of stuck.
2: Well even so, I mean I I think I mean in my experience temporal AA even now, I mean in titles looks better to me than FXAA in most of its implementations. Because I don't again, think again, Oh go ahead.
1: No it, it completely depends on the environment that you're in. If you're in an environment that has a lot of hard edges, like a hallway and interior scene,
2: uh-huh.
1: FXAA is is genius. You can crank that thing up to four or five and have a great-looking scene. But as soon as you start getting round objects, organic shapes, mm-hmm. the whole thing just collapses. Yeah. So it's all about knowing like what is the best tech for the product that you're building and not just saying forward-rendering FXAA is the end-all, be-all sure. or Temporal AA is the best. It's all about okay, what's the scene and what is built for this scene. Sure.
2: So that no, that makes sense. So yeah, so it sounds like a very complicated task to kind of balance out, uh, you know, those types of issues along with trying to create, you know, a, a forest experience like you were saying, and and and, yeah. and 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 doing that in a way that maintains the ambiance of the lighting and the environment that you're that you're looking for.
1: And ninety frames a second, and we have <laughs> we have dynamic light because we're going to have a day-night cycle, so all the shadows have to be dynamically being cast. And wow! It's 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 just a yeah a lot to think of. But uh, in terms of the supersampling, yeah, in Unreal the it's called um, screen percentage, and so what we do is we have the screen percentage set to about two hundred percent or two hundred and fifty percent on Ultra. Okay. And I, I think like at ten seventy. Once you get to like two eighty five which is probably 2.85 in terms of like a super sampling term, um, that's where the 1070 just starts to crumble under the weight of it. So, uh-huh. But you're right. If you go from the lowest setting to the highest setting in your VR, the the improvement in clarity is 100% from the super sampling that's going on. So you, you can see the difference if you wanted to if you're in the game. It's, it's big. But yeah. unfortunately, even a 1070 can only go so high in a scene that has so many objects to... To render.
0: Yeah, I know there's quite a bit to balance there. I mean, <laughs> I guess now we know why—why why you were saying earlier nobody's really, uh, yeah. really attempted a task like this.
1: Yeah, and, and we've we've certainly scaled back our ambitions. The first map that we made was just this gorgeous map with mountains and rivers and caverns and all sorts of variations in the landscape. And then we realized that just the landscape itself was occupying, you know, twenty frames a second just to, to render it out properly, and we just wiped the whole thing. We put a box down that was like a half a kilometer by a half a kilometer, completely flat, laid a ground texture on it, put in some trees, and said, okay, that'll do for now. So, <laughs> you know, we, we've had to scale back what we want and uh, until we can figure out a better way to get the engine to play nicely with our ambitions.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, most of what we've talked about, I think, is more focused on, on the GPU side. I know you had talked a little bit about, about you know, CPU specs and most, you know, users in Steam appear to be using Intel processors right now. Uh, I know you recently, yeah, I mean, you guys have been focusing on, on adding in, you know, deer, for example, and AI paths and that sort of thing for, for the animals. Right. Um, it, it, I don't know what uh, experience uh, you and your team have as far as non-VR titles prior to coming to working, you know, on your, but uh, what are some of the challenges on the CPU side? Um, working on a title like that—is it? I mean, does 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 the VR uh, the VR side of the apps kind of take a lot more resources, uh, you know, on RAM on on the CPU cycles um, that kind of interfere with some of the systems you're able to implement in an open world game? What what's that kind of look like?
1: So the VR the VR itself doesn't doesn't take any more CPU cycles than a normal game would. I, I don't think. When I look at our our uh our main game threads and whatnot. There's nothing in there really. I mean, the the VR compositor from Steam, I think that takes like 15% of the CPU or 17 or whatever it is when it's running. Um, but outside of there, it's, it's not necessarily that because it's a VR title, there are certain things that are more taxing on the CPU. It's more that because it's a VR title, we have to be insanely sensitive to anything that's taxing the, the CPU because anything that's going to bring... Uh, a game thread up over 11 milliseconds. 11 milliseconds is what uh, corresponds to 90 frames per second. So typically when we're doing optimization, we're going to measure things in um, the the game thread timing. So we want to keep things between 6 and 11 milliseconds. And you can break down everything that's going on and saying, okay, deer pathing is taking 1.2 milliseconds, and this is taking 3 milliseconds, and so on and so forth. And so what we do is we just break everything down and we get insanely meticulous about shaving off well if we don't have the deer update once per tick but we have them update once per second well that will shave off you know a, a fifth of a millisecond so let's do that and let's do this <laughs> and whereas in other games you could have your your game thread at 20 milliseconds at 30 milliseconds and it's going to drop your frame rate from, you know, 60 to 55, and nobody cares. Sure. But particularly before we had interleaved an asynchronous reprojection in SteamVR, mm-hmm. as soon as you would drop your, your game thread below 11 milliseconds, or above, you it's push it above 11 milliseconds. Half in frame rate. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you drop from 90 down to 45 frames per second, and things start stuttering, and it was just... And in, in that sense, I'm really glad that we launched and we were developing your VR before async and interleaved came out because it forced us to be just crazily, anally retentive on these things, and now we just have it by habit. Um, So, yeah, to answer your question, there's nothing specific about VR that causes us challenges. Mm -hmm. It's just that because it's in VR, we have to go so much more uh, meticulous into our optimizations and make sure that every single thread is just using the minimal amount of resources as possible because as soon as it goes above 11, well, now half the users don't get that nice, smooth experience.
0: I, I can't even begin to imagine. Ronnie's the more technical side, so some of this, some of this has gone over my head a little bit. But sure. I, I know we, we got deep into the weeds. I, I'd love to get back to, I guess, maybe your goals for your VR moving forward, uh, some of the things that you might be adding in. Are, you know, Ronnie and I have been watching the watching the, the dev blogs and kind of how it's progressed along um, so mm-hmm. far. So I don't know if you want to talk about a little bit, I guess how long that, you know, it's taken you to get where you're at now and what your your futures are, or what you're, what you're looking to do, I guess, in the short-term future and long-term.
1: Right. Well, first of all, anybody can go to playyour.com, and at the very top, there is a roadmap uh, link, I think, roadmaps, and you can look at our roadmaps in either the mind map form or on a Trello board. So if you want to get a good look at where we're at and what's currently being done or worked on, you can just go there. And I've, I've got the mind map open in front of me, so I'm just going to read off of this to keep myself on target. <laughs> um, so right now, the the main things that are currently being uh, worked on and that we're hoping to have out for for Christmas is going to be uh, the, the wolves. So we've got the wolf AI is pretty much done. I think the final cleanup is happening as we speak. So the wolves are the first aggressive creature in the game, which means this is the first time a player can actually die and mm-hmm. take damage. So that's going to be a really, 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 really big system that we are going to tweak and refine. Because how do we? What's the best way to display health in VR? Um, we, when we're working in VR, we really want to get away from having like a static HUD that just follows you around. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit offsetting to have everything move in your vision except for one thing. So what we want to do is try to figure out how can we display things like hunger and health and thirst and when you're taking damage in a way that is different from a typical fps mm-hmm. so the wolves are the first uh, instance that we're really thinking hard about that so we have wolves in we're going to be able to die we're going to be able to get hurt and all of that stuff and heal up but now the big challenge is how do we display that information to the user so in the short term that's that's definitely where our focus is um hunger and stamina we've just almost we've just finished i think recoding the entire movement system so uh we have we have it finished on the code side and now it's going to be hooked up into the hunger and the stamina systems which were done a couple weeks ago so uh movement uh draining stamina chopping down trees draining stamina um needing needing to eat food so that you can get bonuses on on kind of your movement as well as your your resource gathering abilities uh health and death like i was mentioning Uh, For Christmas, we're hoping to have our first big cave system in place. So there's going to be a place on the map that players can go and find where there will be two caves that will lead into a large underground complex. Uh, And this is really, really exciting for us because, like I was mentioning, the the world that we chose to build is completely the opposite of what VR is meant to handle right right now. So big open world, lots of trees, lots of foliage. That's the enemy of VR. And now, for once, we get to build... A part of a world that is designed very well for vr so closed spaces <laughs> everything is there's no foliage everywhere so we're really excited because now we can push the visuals way higher than what we've been able to do so we've just laid down the original uh i mean the initial design for the caves and we're just trying to figure out what we want to put in there maybe some puzzles uh definitely some combat we'll probably just fill it with wolves for now and then maybe put some skeletons or something in there later uh and then just curious
2: can it kind of rolling off of some of the some of the items you've mentioned that you guys are working on um, how sure. uh, when when you guys are designing some of these features um, how how much do you think about or have to think about how long a player is going to play for any one particular session because I, I mean mm-hmm. unique again to your experience there are other titles out there that require you know more lengthy lengthy play sessions in order to get, you know, deep into some of the (laughs) systems. But I mean, I think your VR is one of one of the only titles right now that in order to really, you know, experience the, you know, to its full potential, you really have to, you know, keep the headset on and really kind of get deep into a lot of what's at offer there. So, uh, you know, going into adding all these types of things, um, what do you guys think about in terms of, of how long you want the player to kind of engage with the game at any one, you know, particular play session.
1: Yeah, right. We, to be honest with you, I, I haven't put a huge amount of thought into that yet because everything that we have so far is something that you could do it for 10 minutes or 20 minutes if you wanted to. We have a, we have a persistent save system in place, so you could just take off the headset at any point in time, really, uh, and then just resume right where you left off. Okay. But with the caves, certainly that—that's well. Even with the caves, though, if you—if you get in there, and I imagine you know, quickly teleporting around, you could probably get from the entrance to the cave down into one of the main main chambers, uh, probably within—I don't know—a minute or two. And then, if you really wanted to, you could just quit right there. The whole game pauses, and then you just go have lunch, have dinner, come back, and then just resume right where you left off. So, okay. in that sense, there's nothing to be lost by just Quitting and resuming, but it's a really good point that you bring up um, because that's certainly something that differentiates VR from non-VR titles. Is that for most people, you've got that ceiling of discomfort that will kick in after 30 minutes or an hour, um, and we definitely want to make sure that within that within that optimal period of time, you get you know an optimal experience as opposed to half an experience. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a great point, and it's something that. Uh, we'll have to start talking about more and more now that we're going to be creating you know longer lasting experiences as opposed to just let's forge a blade for 10 minutes or yeah, let's no. I mean, gather some wood
2: cuz it's cuz it's exciting to hear yeah. i mean that that so much is going to go into the game i mean it's it's kind of a you know double edged sword in in the sense of you know people are looking for more substantial experiences and you know a survival an open world survival game you know I think scratches that itch for a lot of users that are looking to have a more complete experience in a VR title, and so so I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how you guys work on 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 providing you know more and more systems in the game as you get further and further along in development, while at the same time you know you know balancing you know what how long what the player is going to be be doing in an environment, and so it's it's that's
0: exciting. Yeah, And I think being able to save your progress, like exactly where you are, not lose anything, and move, you know move from from point to point, I guess, every time you put on the headset without, um, without losing any of the experience, without losing any of the progress that you' you've gotten. That's a, that's a huge asset for people right now, which I don't know is necessarily things I've seen in other games, although other games are, are definitely shorter of, of experiences where I feel like Yor has uh, a much bigger or much broader type of experience that it's trying to offer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of kind of some of the ideas that we've been tossing around, uh, as if you played your, you know, that when you start the game, you start in kind of like a, a placeholder house. It's we call it the main menu house, and mm-hmm. it's it's essentially an environment that's going to function as a main menu. We're going to have a tomb and whatnot that you can open up like a big giant book with all of your options, and then there will be different doors. For the different experiences and right now we have two doors one is the practice forge and the other one is the open world door Mm -hmm. but as you go through and start unlocking new new things such as let's say you complete a dungeon um maybe we can open up a door where it'll be more like a uh, a small sliver of that dungeon experience or, or a shooting range or we have limited uh experiences that are pulled from things that you've successfully completed in the game world so if you just wanted to hop in for five minutes you could do that and not worry about you know affecting or ruining your your main game progress mm-hmm. just like, like with the practice forge that was the main reason for that because gathering all the resources needed to forge a blade takes a certain amount of time and we haven't really explained it all that well but there's a lot that goes on in making a blade in your in the sense of we're always calculating the optimal temperature for a hammer strike and every hammer strike that happens below that optimal temperature range will reduce the overall quality of the sword will change what it looks like and everything like that Mm -hmm. and so people when they want to learn how to make an optimal sword they don't want to have to practice and then have to go gather more resources and practice so that's why we put the practice forge in place which has unlimited resources and you can just practice making all the shapes that you want Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's there's some interesting things that uh that uh, we're we're thinking about to give shorter experiences there. Cool. Uh, Just just
0: out of curiosity, like the practice boards that you mentioned, was that something that you guys initially had in mind or did you maybe receive some type of feedback or or something that, you know, maybe was like, Hey, add this in from, whether it was a, a user or Steam something or Steam discussion board, I'm just curious, like, because I know you guys have an awesome community, uh, or that there is an awesome community that is providing a lot of feedback. So I'm wondering how that that helps to shape, you know, where the direction of where your is headed.
1: Right, right. That idea is certainly one that we had right from the get go, and the the reason was it's uh, your has Yore has completely evolved into a different game than what I initially imagined. Being a a, a long-time game developer um, and a person that, as I get a little bit older, I have less and less time uh, in my my day to play like a four-hour gaming session. My mind initially went to let's create a game where the people can just have everything they want right from the get-go, and they can just do anything they want. So they have all the weapons, they have all the resources, they have everything, because we just want to make blacksmithing fun, we want to make hunting fun, and all this stuff. Um... So what what we did is we created the open world game, and I said, "Well, we need the practice forge so that people can immediately just start forging blades." Um, and then, as soon as we kind of, as soon as we were uh, doing our alpha testing and we had our, our test group in there, everybody overwhelmingly said, "Stop giving us everything right off the bat. We don't want this. We want to work for it. We want to spend <laughs> two hours building this stuff." And I said. You guys want to spend time <laughs> chopping down trees and gathering iron ore? Just why don't I just give you everything? I'm laughing. He said, "No, no." What's yeah. that?
2: No, I was just saying I'm laughing because I think I come more from the mindset like yours was going into this. I mean, I I don't have a ton of I do have experience playing games like Skyrim and you know some of right. the like more open world games, less of the experience of the survival kind of more hardcore. Hardcore you know games that you can find on Steam right now and and yeah i could I could totally see coming like as I was hearing you talk about, oh yeah, no, but that, that would definitely let me get into the game easier and you know really get a feel for the systems and blah right. and then but i yeah I, I could see how how people that have uh, that have already uh, engaged in a lot of these survival type games and are really you know kind of hardcore about it in that sense might not. You know, be looking for that, but but it it must be a a, a, an interesting challenge to kind of balance players that are already into these type of games while also trying to bring new people in that might be balked and you know not not want to you know play the game after getting frustrated because they you know get in into the world
1: and don't know what to do or so. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge with with VR in particular. Um, Because we, particularly in a game like your, what I've always wanted to avoid is having like a lot of help screens, a lot of anything that's going to take the immersion out of the experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when you have your menu or even when you do have help screens, they are represented by physical objects in the world. Like there's going to be a scroll hanging off of a wall near the smelter that's going to give you some instructions as opposed to having just a floating help box or like uh, uh, we won't have an inventory that just pops up like a grid. It'll be you have to reach into your cart, grab the things out. And so doing doing that and trying to keep that immersion does make it difficult for players that usually, just you know, they just want to hit the F1 button, get the instructions, and they're there. On the, on the flip side, though, with VR, I think we're really, really fortunate because so much of what you do All you have to think about is, how would I do this in real life? Oh, I grab the bellow handle, I move the bellows up and down, Mm -hmm. and then it makes the smelter hotter. Oh, okay, well, that's easy. And so we we definitely have a challenge on one end, because you can't just have help screens everywhere, but on the other hand, so much more of the interactions are intuitive Mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of just... Grab an axe and just go swing it at a tree, and put the wood in a truck, and then take it back to town and throw it in your fire pit.
2: You know, on that uh, on that same point, it, has it is it more challenging working on a on a title like yours in VR, um, with kind of some of the the player expectations for for wh- how objects should interact and, and and when when things should work and when they shouldn't? Because I mean, in some games like yours, like you know, in traditional games, if you walk up to something and a button prompt shows up you know that you can engage with that item. Right. And you don't always so so the player expectation isn't that they can necessarily go up to every object in the environment and interact with it the way that they would in real life, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, have have you guys kind of ran into kind of challenges on that or or maybe maybe there's objects that initially weren't interactive that you felt were taking people out of the experience and you had to you know, work to try to make them more interactive? If you could speak to that, maybe.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of changes with, with mainly how you interact with objects that we've had to adjust based on players, not just their expectations, but their suggestions and their feedback. So first of all, in... In, in Unreal and when we're developing, Europe, it's, it's super easy to make every object in the world interactable. You just turn it, you, there's a checkbox, you just make it a physics object, and then from that point onwards you can pick it up, you can put stuff in it, you can do whatever you want with it. So, but it's, it's mainly like, okay, I can pick up this mug now, but what I want to do is I want to take it to the lake and fill it up with water and then use that to douse my fire. Well, that's a whole system that would take like two months just to get working properly. So we're, we're not going to do that. So expectations there are going to be a little bit... Kind of disappointed for now but on the other side uh, we went perhaps a little bit too far with certain things so our initial launch you would go up you chop down a tree you'd end up with a pile of 20 pieces of wood around you and then you'd have to bend over and then pick up every piece of wood and then put it in your cart and mm-hmm. then you grab your cart and you take it back to town and there's a subsect of players that just love this. Probably twenty to thirty year olds that haven't experienced back pain in their entire lives. (laughs) But they just they're just like, oh, this is great. I feel like I'm physically doing work. I'm getting a sweat. And then you have like the thirty to forty year olds that are like, Are you kidding me? I'm a carpenter in my day job. I pick up two by fours. The last thing I want to do is come home and spend an hour picking up wood off the ground. (laughs) So don't make me do this. And and in that sense what we had to do is we had to start stretching reality a little bit where in you know in your we implemented the the basket and the basket initially was just meant you'd literally just put stuff in the basket and it was a physics object so it had collisions around it and it would physically hold objects as you move through the world. Well, we realized right right early on that we kind of made a mistake with the basket and that we didn't put those collisions on the underside of it. Mm-hmm. So what you could do is you could push it into a resource and then it would just grab it and store it in the basket because <laughs> the basket can store up to seven pieces of any resource. They, wow. And, and so I was wandering around and I was, just, I was realizing I had just like push this basket down on all my wood or I could just shove it into a pile of wood and it would just grab seven pieces automatically and then I could just take that over to my cart. And I, I was like writing up the bug report and I'm like, oh, you forgot to put collision on the bottom of the basket, guys, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a minute, this makes my life so much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I went out to the, the community. I'm like, do you guys, what do you guys think about this? If we just use the basket, like a little mini vacuum cleaner. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. Don't change this. Don't change this. And funny enough, we got like probably 20% was just like, this is, no, you, you can't have this. I, I, we need to make people bend over and pick things up. So I listened to the 80%. And, and then the funny thing is that those 20% after they've like collected their 400th piece of wood, then they're like, oh okay, okay, we can, <laughs> we can use the basket now. So in that sense, what we've had to do is sometimes we've had to scale back the physical interactions that exist huh. because as opposed to a, a traditional title, you have to actually think about comfort and physical like, physical stress in VR. So it's figuring out how far into reality you want to go versus how much do you want to maybe help the players out a little bit by cheating.
0: No, that,
2: <laughs> that's that's really funny. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense. So it's cool that you guys are able to to work with the, the community on those types of issues and kind of, you know, get feedback, make your own choices and you know, it sounds like it's a, a very, very healthy environment for, for new ideas.
1: Oh yeah, like you know, you look at it's just like crowdsourcing, right? Like I, I have one brain, we have like two or three other brains in our development team. We sit down, we talk about ideas, we think they're great. And then we just put it out to a community of 500 people. Well, there's the active community is probably like a 50 or hundred people. And now all of a sudden we've got way better ideas than we were ever going to think of. So, you know, we've stopped living that illusion that we have the best ideas possible. And that when everybody puts all of their minds together and starts discussing it, you end up getting a much better product. And so from like a week after development, uh, after launch to the early access, we just go straight to the community and we say, like, before we even offer our ideas, just tell us what you think. And typically, at the end of a session like that, those ideas are better than anything that we had. So we just run with it and, and implement it. It's it's great.
0: No, that's, I mean, like I said, the community seems like it's been awesome. I Just going through the forums, going through everything, like... Like you said, I mean, you're going to get great ideas from people who are actually in it and, you know, we'll tell you, we'll tell you what they want and therefore you can kind of tailor things to, to really bring that experience, um, to, to help them, I guess.
1: Well, yeah. Give them the game that they want. I mean, these are the, these are the people that are, are are buying the game. So why on earth would I make the game that I want as opposed to the game that I, they want? I mean, I pull from 17 years of game development experience, so I know that certain things are going to work well and other things might not work well. But being the wild, wild west of VR, a lot of the ideas that we carry with us through decades of game de- game development have to be thrown out the window and reevaluated because the medium is so different. The way you interact with the game is so different. And so it's a great way, it's a a great thing to balance between pulling my experience and they say, well, let's do this. And I say, "Uh, it's not a great idea versus just saying them giving me an idea that I might kind of scoff at initially, but saying, you know, this is VR. So maybe it would work better than I think it would. And then sure enough, you get it in the game and at least you test it, at least you try it. And then realize that while this would never work in a traditional PC game, it works surprisingly well in a VR experience.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, like like you said, the wild, wild west, I, I actually really like that term because that's exactly what it is right now. So you have all these people who are uh, the early adopters, the people who are going to help shape it. So why, why not kind of tailor it to what they're looking for and the experiences that they want?
1: Right, right. And you just throw, you throw enough, you know, crap against the wall and just see what, what <laughs> sticks. And I think that's yep. what you have to do with a lot of stuff is that nobody's done this before. Like nobody's done like a tree chopping simulator in vr before and that's the thing about yore that gets me really excited and i have to really hold myself back because every time i post a new thing to reddit um i always want to like like a new devlog to reddit or something like that i always want to title it like the very first tree <laughs> chopping simulator in vr or the very first deer hunting bow hunting game in vr because the great thing about yore is we're doing and it's not just because it's yours it's because it's vr and it's so new but Every time we come out with a really big new system, chances are this is the first time anybody has done this in VR, like bow bow hunting and deer. And that makes it very exciting because you're the first to get there. But then it also makes it really kind of challenging because chances are no one's going to figure out how to do this right for like two years. So you know that what you're putting forward is the suboptimal solution to the challenge. However, you got to throw it out there. You got to figure out what works, what feels good, what doesn't. And then you have to listen to the community and just evolve it, evolve it, and evolve it. Well,
2: and I, I give you guys so much credit for being so ambitious. I mean, a lot of VR titles out there right now will hang their hat on just introducing one of those types of mechanics into VR and kind of building an experience just all around that one single mechanic. I mean, that's, right. that's I think, what, what a lot of people are, I mean, people get into but are also, you know, can sometimes get disappointed with is, well, once I kind of have done all my all my tree chopping, for example, I've done this enough. I'm kind of, you know, I, I get that. It's not, it's no longer going to be enough to just drive the game in and of itself. Uh, with most VR titles, that's kind of, once you've hit that point, you're done. You don't really go back to the title anymore. But with a title like your VR, and I think what you guys, it sounds like, are trying to get to is is finding ways of implementing all of these systems together to where, to where that one act of just, you know, of... of 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 hunting deer for example is that's it's fun in and of itself and you and players will want to come back to to do that time and time again but they don't really have to just love hunting or love resource gathering or love it's you know there's there's lots of things you can do and they they all coexist in in a realistic world that makes players feel like they're in an actual place so i think it's really I mean, it's, I think what everybody's hoping VR experiences can eventually be like, this all-encompassing, you know, kind of escapist trip where where you feel like you're really in a place and you can really do almost anything.
1: Yeah, and you know, I don't blame the other developers for doing what they're doing, because I mean, you can make a single, I just call them like single-serving experiences, where it's a single mechanic, you play it for an hour or two, and then... You're never going to come back because, you know, you've chopped down all the trees that you ever want to chop down in VR. And but but these these products are, you know, like they're outselling us right now uh, because they are a fairly refined, single serving experience. And if you look at like hot dogs, horseshoes and hand grenades, for example, I mean, he started off his game with like a single gun or two guns, I think, a shooting range and then some fun little things. But that was it. But that's all that people had ever kind of experienced before in VR. And they, they had no expectations, really. So they just dove into there. And if you can just make that and then make, you know, 10 times the money that you would if you tried to make a bunch of experiences that were in need of refinement, then why not do that, take those sales, and then put that towards a, another title? So I understand why they're doing it. But six months in, now we're getting to that point where people are starting to expect more than just fishing or just lumberjacking or just blacksmithing and what I want to do is I want to set ourselves up to be that all-encompassing experience so that you know when the novelty runs out in six months all of a sudden they're going to start looking for something that's a little bit more of a collection of experiences and we'll kind of be sitting there oh well, yeah um, it's
2: and, and I mean, along that same line, I mean, how how easy is it for? Is there a lot of sharing between developers now on VR titles to kind of? I mean, looking forward, we have a lot of people that have a lot of experience and focus on working on individual projects. Um, do you see some of those, some of those that experience kind of at some point coming together in ways to create more big projects? Or
1: yeah, it's uh, no. I mean, not that I know of. I mean, I, I certainly am on Skype and chatting with a lot of the developers of other VR titles, mm-hmm. um, but there, there certainly isn't a direct sharing between developers. However, if you go to the communities like the Unreal forums or the Unity forums, or you can get onto the Unreal Discord group, we do do a lot of chatting back and forth about how to solve certain problems. Mm-hmm. Or like Iron Belly Studios, we create a lot of reusable assets and sell them on the marketplace. So. A lot of the games out there that you see that have guns in them are all using our guns that we've created and then just put on the market. So like it it'll cost you anywhere between two and three thousand dollars to make a really nice LMG that has animations and fighters and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, we do that and then we sell it for twenty nine dollars or nineteen dollars. And now all of these VR devs have a library of just gorgeous looking guns that they can just reuse and reuse and reuse. That's so awesome. in that sense, there's a lot of sharing. There's a lot of kind of cost savings going on with these uh, these marketplaces that exist. But in terms of developers kind of sitting down and doing like mini game jams together, uh, I don't think that really exists right now. But I mean, it certainly certainly could in the future.
0: Well, e- even still, just the the sharing mechanism that you were referring to, I I, I that that saves people so much time that allows you know developers like you to be able to recoup some of those costs. So I think it's a win-win situation all around.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a lot of people will kind of partially fund their game by developing assets for it and then within six months putting them up on these marketplaces for sale. Um, so we, we've certainly done some of that with uh with our wep- our modern weapons, and then with your, we are planning on eventually putting some of our you know our weapons and whatnot on the marketplaces for sale. But um, right now, we're just focusing just on getting it in your and getting it working properly because it is it is quite a bit of work to get it prepped for general consumption as opposed to very specific use within in a single title.
0: Gotcha. No, for for sure. Well, Ryan, I want to be respectful of your time here. Um, I oh, know I got, I got <laughs> we can we can talk VR. Pretty much all day. But uh, I just had a couple more questions for you, if that's all right. Yeah, take your time, man. The (laughs) day is all yours. Uh, Awesome. So the the first one is, um, I guess, it's a a question we like to ask developers just because you guys do bring such a unique perspective. And so I guess if there's one wish that you have, like for the future of VR platforms, what would that be? And the hypothetical scenario that I give is, uh, you know, if you were the CEO of HTC or Oculus or any other headset you know, like where would you focus your company's time, energy, resources, et cetera?
1: Mm, well, I, I mean, I I think just kind of what they're, what they're probably what they're doing is exactly what I would be doing. And you're just trying to push the technology to be more comfortable and more affordable for the masses. Because that's what we really need right now. We have an install base of 400,000 Vibes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's not really enough to drive sales so that... Uh, uh, games are profitable to the level that larger companies are going to get involved and start putting larger teams on it. And you know we're benefiting from that because there's no competition with Ubisoft right now. However, you're also not getting 200 people sitting down in a building putting their minds towards solving a problem. And so you have a lot of, uh, I think, maybe a lack of consumer confidence right now because you're not seeing these very, very high polished games uh, coming out exclusively for VR. So you have a kind of a double-edged sword where you not you might not have mainstream adoption because you don't have a lot of products that give people confidence in the medium. But at the same time, you don't have a lot of people using the product, which means that there isn't a lot of money in the market to drive a five million dollar title or a two million dollar title. So you're gonna have just a large amount of like these really cool and you know polished indie titles, but they're still in titles for a short period of time. So that's I mean, that's what I would be looking at is what's stopping The mainstream from adopting and i think right now it's probably cost and comfort and if we can get the cost down and if we can get the comfort up then you start driving adoption which means there's going to be more money sales which means there's going to be larger productions which means that's going to drive up confidence and then the cycle just starts to build upon itself so um but that being said like that's exactly probably what they're doing right now so that's i would just keep on doing what they're doing
0: Awesome. Well, like you said, it's it's kind of the chicken and the egg problem, but I do feel mm-hmm. like they are trending in the right direction. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see where things are in about you know six months, a year, two years. But you know, Definitely. hopefully, yeah. I mean, like like what you're doing, like be, put, you're putting yourself in a in a really good position to be able to capitalize on when that mainstream adoption happens and people are looking for that fuller experience. So that's really exciting. We wish the best for uh, for your VR and you know whatever you guys have coming up. Cheers, man. Thanks. Uh, so last question for you, and this is more so just a, a, a shameless plug uh, opportunity for you, or I guess, uh, you know, how can people connect with you? I know you you guys are really active in the discussion boards, uh, Reddit, the forums, things like that. But if there's a way that people, you know, who want to reach out to you for whatever reason, or if there's something that, you know, you guys have coming down the pipeline, or like I said, this is just your moment to, uh, to do a shameless plug, whatever you'd like to do
1: all right well you can follow us on twitter facebook so facebook.com slash your vr twitter.com slash your underscore vr like you said we're very active on reddit we've got our our your vr subreddit and you know most importantly if we definitely want people to join the discussions even if you don't own a copy of your vr but you have an idea for what you would want to see in a game like this you can just go to forums.playyour.com join the discussions there. Of course, we're on Steam. So just search for your VR on Steam. um, And then the website is just playyour.com. So either one of those reach out to me, get on the forums, tell us what you want to see, tell us what's what's wrong with your what we don't have that we should have. And uh, we'll we'll definitely work on getting it in the game because this is, as we've mentioned, a totally community driven project at this point.
0: Awesome, man. Well, we will definitely link to the game on steam and I'll also make sure to include a a link to the website as well. You know, for everyone listening, I've had a chance to play the game and it's, it's incredible. It's a lot of fun. It's exactly what you were saying, Ryan. Like it's a really, it's really community effort. So, you know, come in, be part of the community and, you know, i'm really excited to see where this game goes so yeah ryan i want to thank you so much for your time for being on the show i know this went a little bit longer than we normally do but like i said i mean vr is exciting and it's it's just awesome to be able to connect with people like you and be able to share your insight with with everyone who's listening
1: no it's and and likewise for me i mean this is how great ideas are born of just like-minded people coming together and having these kind of discussions so anytime you guys want to chat let me know i'd love to come
0: back and thanks for having me on the show Absolutely. Well, for everyone listening, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll talk again soon.